Sorry, daydreaming there. Okay. I appreciate the uh, invitation of the of the elders of the session uh, to uh, minister the word tonight. Um, I usually uh, would dress more to the occasion, but we've been traveling, and I accidentally left my coat um, uh, up in Manistee, and uh, haven't had time to run back and get my blazer. So uh, I haven't been that strongly influenced by the uh, the laid-back uh, culture of Uruguay, at least not yet. At least, yeah, I'd, I'd look different if uh, if I hadn't uh, forgotten that. So um, this evening. Um, we're going to look uh, at, more topically, evangelism or making the good news known. Uh, but I would like to start by reading Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It might be familiar to you. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And uh, as you might be finishing turning there, let me ask the Lord to bless his word to us and the message tonight. Let's pray together. Glorious Father, we, uh, we just pray now that you would use your word powerfully and mightily in our lives. Thank you that you have given us your spirit uh, who does use the word to change and to transform us. Father, give us the grace to, to listen with open hearts and we pray that you use uh, the words of your scriptures and uh, the, the words and the thoughts of your servant um, to build up your people, to build up your church, to increase our zeal for you and your service and our love for you. Do this, we pray, for your glory and for the health and strength of your church. And we ask these things in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Um, so... Um, what I present tonight may be uh, challenging to some of you, and there's going to be a lot of application. Uh, a lot of it will be implied, um, but I'm going to be uh, seeking to challenge you in, in a number of ways. But please remember, as I do that, it's not about us. Um, if, if you are convicted, um, don't let me stop you um, from uh, taking a moment to pray um, or uh, doing that later this evening, but, but, but remember as we think about these things, it's not about us, it's about Him, because He is worthy, He deserves to be worshipped and glorified by many, and so in that respect, we want to be uh, the best witnesses for Him that we can be, we want to be uh, faithful in the call to evangelize, we want to be active and busy in that task, uh, I believe it's one of the church's uh, main callings to worship our God and then to gather and to perfect the elect. So the perfecting, we're usually pretty good at among the Reformed, the perfecting the elect, the teaching, uh, but the gathering also is our calling. Uh, so with those things said, I also want to encourage you to fix your eyes upon Christ, just going back to that thought as he may be directing you to greater holiness, but fix your eyes upon him and not about yourself remembering that it's about him. So four points this, this evening to look at briefly uh, regarding making God's good news known, uh, making the good news known or evangelizing. Uh, we'll just look at the who, the how, 
and the why, and then lastly, a don't forget item, an important reminder, fourthly, at the end. So first of all, who? Who is to make God's good news known? Uh, It can be very convenient for the average Christian uh, to believe that that is the task of the pastors and the missionaries. That's their job. That's what they get paid for. Well, let me just be straight with you. This task is for the whole church. And I'm realizing I forgot to read Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Uh, Hear these words uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So our focus tonight on that first part, go, therefore, the first part of verse 19, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Who go? Well, listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You can turn there if you prefer. 1 Peter 2, 9, which is written to the elect or to believers, as you'll see very clearly in the first verse of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, as to the elect exiles. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you, translated believers, are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, and I want to pause there, a royal priesthood. You know what priests are? Okay, every believer, all you elect, you are a royal priesthood. Priests are go-betweens between God and man. They exist to mediate between God and man, to bring people to God, and in a sense to mediate God to people, to bring the two together. Well, this is making it clear that's not just... Uh, the job of the ordained ministers or the elected officials, the, the elders, the ruling elders. Go, uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Don't forget that. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And um, just in case you're not convinced from that, uh, that it is for all believers, uh, there are a number of um, uh, passages that teach by example, where we observe it happening among all believers, that it is uh, not just the work of the ordained leaders to spread the gospel. One example to that, you might turn with me to Acts chapter 8. One example of that is Acts 8, I want to read just verses 1 and 4. Stephen had just been stoned. It begins, Acts 8, verse 1, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, key word. The church leaders stayed put. Now verse 4, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and the word there behind preaching, the word in the Greek, is not the 
official proclamation. There's a different word for what ministers do. But this was the spreading the word, the proclaiming widely the news of the gospel. So who? All of us. Go, therefore. And if I've stirred, stirred up a hornet's nest, that's for the elders here uh, to deal with, with you guys for further discussion. But go, therefore, the whole church for the glory of God. And because Christ and his authority is with us. Christ is with us. Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20. So that's the who. And we're going to look now at the how a little bit on the how of evangelism. Uh, First of all, where to? It says go. Go and make disciples. Now, for some of us, that may be Uruguay, but for many, it is just out your front door. There's a world of lost people right outside your door. You may not have noticed them, but our calling is to go and to love and to serve not only one another, Uh, The family of Christ should come first, and that's part of our compelling witness, how we love one another, how we care for each other. But go and love and serve your lost neighbors as Christ did. Seeking to make disciples of co-workers, classmates, service providers, like maybe you order a lot of stuff on Amazon and you always got the same UPS guy coming. Um, Other ideas... um, Maybe um, if you're a woman with extra time, maybe ladies who are in the middle of crisis pregnancies, who are in a very vulnerable and soul-searching spot in life, uh, whoever God may lead you to, but especially the people whom you rub shoulders with, the people that you, you have some form of relationship with, who feel they know you at least a little bit. Love your lost neighbor as yourself. It's, it's very simple. I don't have to break it down much Beyond that, that's, that's the how. Uh, it needs to happen in love and because of love. And I'll come back to that a little bit in the motivation. But, but let's love the lost around us as we have opportunity. Let's love them into wanting to know what makes us tick. Wanting to know why we love the way that we love. Where does that, that supernatural love that that person has, where does it come from? How can we love? Uh, A good starting point is uh, think about someone that you have a relationship who doesn't know Christ and think about a need that they have. Uh, Maybe it's uh, something that just comes up and they need help building something with a project or helping uh, the yard's a disaster, cleaning the yard, or they need a a shoulder to cry on, or, or it's just someone who needs companionship. Whatever the need may be, meet that need in love and you will open up doors of opportunity. You will start to soften a hardened heart and you'll be building a platform on which they can stand or a bridge for them to start maybe making some movements toward being willing even to just listen to what the gospel is all about. So number two, how? Love. Love like Christ does. Love sacrificially. Um, Love in ways that uh, people know, perhaps, that it costs you something. Uh, You know, um, an observation, unbelievers' hearts are hardened. They're in rebellion against God. But love softens hard hearts, if it's genuine love. If you're just trying to um, 
you know, chalk up a, a conversion to your name, um, they'll, they'll figure you out pretty fast. But genuine love softens hard hearts. It warms up hearts of stone that have been cold toward the gospel. And yet, uh, loving and serving, sacrificial love is very costly, is it not? It's difficult. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. Emotional energy. Sometimes that's the most precious resource that we have. It may include stepping way, out of, way outside of your comfort zone. For the vast majority of us, evangelism, if we're willing to admit it, is difficult. And that takes us to my third point tonight. Number three, the why of evangelism. What is the motivation? Uh, there are many. Um, I could just say, well, because God says so. But when we struggle uh, to love others sacrificially, particularly if we don't have much to do with them, we don't have that much in common because my life is involved in the kingdom, we might think to ourselves, and, and I can't really, really relate so much to this person because they don't even believe in God. It can be very difficult to make a decision to give to that person your precious resources of time and emotional energy. So the why. And I want to submit to you the most important motivation is love. Uh, we'll often choose rather to disobey God's call to evangelize than the uncomfortableness of that. We'll choose rather to deal with that and have that in our lives rather than the uncomfortableness of pursuing a lost person through acts of loving service. So if there isn't love motivating us, we're not going to do it. We're not going to choose that path. So the motivation must be above all love. But let me, let me start with this. Especially love for God. Having a love for God, having a love for the Lord Jesus Christ that beats out, that pushes out love for self and all else. That, that, that is... Is, is, is directing our affections, that's filling us, that's pushing out inordinate affections, inordinate loves that take us away from obedience in the call to evangelize. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, how do we stir that up in our hearts? We could talk about God's attributes and God's glories. We could talk about his wisdom, his amazing power. All that would get us going, I'm sure. But how about simply, at least for, for this moment tonight, how about simply the love that issues from thanksgiving? How about the love that issues, issues from thanksgiving? Love because of what God has done for us. And to meditate on that is, is simply to remember the gospel afresh. It's thinking about what we've been rescued from and at what great cost. And thinking about what we've been given, such as power to change, rescue from sin's dominion, rescue from sin's eternal penalty, fellowship with God himself, adoption as his sons and daughters. Thinking about what we've been given 
Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. Verse 5 of chapter 1, Ephesians, He predestined us for adoption as sons. The holy, holy, holy God wanted so much to have fellowship with me that he did all that was necessary to rescue me and reclaim me and bring me into fellowship with him. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Friends, oh, that our prayers would be, Lord, I love you so much because of all that you've done for me. So that as my heart dwells on the gospel of your grace and of your love for me, it warms. So that if you say, jump, I want to say, how high, Lord? And then when we don't want to pray like that, let's fall at God's feet and beg Him to give us a zeal and a love for Him and, and thankful hearts that, that are broken by our periodic thanklessness, our, our times of not even caring whether my life is conforming to His will for me, to what He wants me to do. As in, I love you, God, because you have so greatly loved me. That kind of passion, that kind of love, does not, is not there if we forget the gospel. It's not going to be there. And we need that for our motivation. We need that to do what is difficult, to step outside of our comfort zones, etc., etc. So meditate on the gospel of God's love for us. Um, if you struggle with uh, thinking about and remembering the Gospels, the Gospel, I mean, let me challenge you to read Scriptures that will remind you of the beauties and glories of the Gospel. Figure, figure out what your favorites are and consider memorizing them, hiding them in your heart so that they're there, so that you think upon them, maybe as you're driving and, or brushing your teeth or um, just doing mind-numbing stuff. There are also some good devotional books out there that might stir you up in your love for God. Um, some newer titles that I've appreciated. Uh, one is Joe Thorne, Note to Self. I think it's excellent, except for perhaps some parts of the intro. Always read discerningly. Uh, Joe Thorne, Note to Self. Another great one, Milton Vincent, A Gospel Primer for Christians. Another one is Scotty Smith. be a great day to start it. It's called Every, Everyday Prayers. Uh, there's 365, uh, one page long. Uh, wonderfully gospel-filled prayer meditations. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, Paul wrote, For the love of Christ controls or constrains us. And I'll add the words, to obey. To obey in the area of evangelism. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake was raised. So motivation A, which I think needs to be primary, 
love for God. And then there's also that other motivation which we've already been touching on. It's, it's also very important, motivation B, love for man. Love for our lost friends and neighbors and co-workers. Motivating us into concern and prayer and then action. Consider this uh, for an illustration here. If you knew someone, or even you knew of someone, maybe a friend of a friend, who was, let's just say, regularly eating things that you know uh, were actually killing them, maybe not some kind of strange drugs, maybe they had some rare and very severe food allergy, but they didn't believe that they had this problem They thought they were fine, though they didn't always feel so hot, and they didn't necessarily want to hear what you have to say, but you know it's killing them and going to bring them to an early death. Now think of how this translates into sharing the gospel. What would you be compelled to do if you had any real love for that person who was killing themselves? They're going to die in two years and have a horrible time of declension leading up to that, if you loved and cared for them, you'd have no choice but to try to warn them, to try to get your message through to them. And I'm sure that you'd put energy into being very thoughtful and creative about it and most diligent about figuring out the best possible way. How can I get my message through to them? How can I get them to listen to me about this? I want to walk the right line between um, saying too much and too little. I want to say it in the right way. Find the right words. Friends, God calls us to love our friends who don't know Him in this very way. Gently telling them what they don't want to hear. Even if it's as gentle as simply persistently inviting them, lovingly inviting them to come with you to church to hear the gospel of salvation, to hear God's word proclaimed. Love for neighbor. Matthew 19, 19. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Think of what you would want your Christian friend to do for you if you were in that situation. You can pretty much pick your illustration with this. Uh, There's a warning against an untimely death from a horrific food allergy or um, think about this. Would you hide and hoard an unlimited treasure of priceless blessing when there was enough to go around for everyone in the world? It would radically transform people's lives if they could come and partake of this. Maybe the mythical fountain of life was discovered. uh, Some water that you could drink and never get sick. How selfish and unloving would it be not to try your best to convince as many people as you could to partake of this miracle water, of this amazing gift. Luke 6.31, along the same lines as the other verse, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them, said our Lord. So that's our twofold motivation for spreading the gospel, love for God and love for for our fellow man. And start with that, please. 
always start with that or you'll fall on your face. And then lastly this evening, number four, a simple reminder. How or what must we as Christ's body do to evangelize well? What must always accompany our ministries of word and deed as we seek to love the lost around us? What must always accompany this work? Well, I believe that perhaps the most important, the single most important ingredient of all the ingredients in evangelism is prayer. You might know that the Apostle Paul was always writing to the believers and saying to the believers in the various churches that if anything happened as far as doors opening for the gospel or the conversion of the lost, that it would be through their prayers that prayer was so important for it. I don't want to take the time to show you any of these verses, but Paul himself was convinced that it wasn't the, the gift of evangelism that God was given, had given him. It wasn't that, or at least not that alone. It was through God's people's prayers and through the Word of God that they would be converted. If we try this work on our own, if our efforts are independent of God, then most commonly, most likely, and most usually, nothing will come of it. Now, I know this is basic nuts and bolts, but the whole message tonight, pretty much, is reminders. And even I, as a missionary, I'm sad to admit that I need frequent reminders of how important prayer is. I'll get an idea, or I'll have a plan for the day, and I'll run ahead without stopping to pray, without trying to bathe the whole work in prayer. So we need to seek God's grace for His direction, for His wisdom, for His blessing on the effort. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. And our Lord Jesus said, you do not have because you do not ask, right? Got a little story um, in closing on this last point. Uh, to share. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon, the great and gifted evangelist, was addressing pastors when he gave this very poignant illustration about prayer. He wrote, two laborers, this is a story that he made up to, to make a point, two laborers in God's harvest, two evangelists, met each other once upon a time, and they sat down to compare notes. One was a man of sorrowful spirit, and the other was joyous, for God had given him the desire of his heart. The sad brother said, Friend, I cannot understand how it is that everything you do is sure to prosper. You scatter seed, as in the, the seeds of the gospel, the, the word of God. You scatter seed with both of your hands very diligently, and it springs up and rapidly too. But I have sown, said he, as you have done, and I think I can say I have been just as diligent. I think, too, that the soil has been the same, for we have labored side by side in this same town. The seed has been of the same quality, for I have found mine where you get yours. But alas, my seed never springs up. In other words, he never would see any conversions. I sow it. And it, it, it is as if I sowed it upon the waves, upon the water. I never see a harvest. Here and there a sickly blade of wheat I have discovered with great and diligent search, but I can see but little reward for all my labors. 
They talked a long time together after that. For the brother who was successful was one of a tender heart, and therefore he sought to comfort this mourning brother. They compared notes. They looked through all the rules of farming or evangelizing. And they could not solve the mystery of why one was successful and the other labored pretty much in vain. At last, the successful brother said to the other, I must retire now or go off to my rest, get ready for bed. Why so early, said the other? Because this is the time when I must go and steep my seed. Steep your seed, said the other. Yes, my brother, I always steep or soak my seed before I sow it. He's talking about some kind of preparation to these gospel nuggets that he, that he throws out. I steep it till it begins to swell and germinate, and I can almost see a green blade springing from it. From it. Then I know it will speedily grow after it is sown. Ah, said the brother, but I don't understand what you mean. How do you steep your seed, and in what mysterious mixture? Brother, said he, it is a composition made of one part of the tears of agony for the souls of men, and the other part of the tears of a holy agony which wrestles with God in prayer. This mixture, if you drop your seed in it, has a transcendent efficacy to make every grain full of life so that it is not lost. Now, if you've uh, heard or read much about Spurgeon, you'll know that he was not only a gifted preacher, but he was also a prayer warrior himself. And he had um, led a church and developed a church of prayer warriors. So he knew what he was talking about in this area. So prayer as a foundation for evangelism and something that must always be mixed in with the work. A key but easily forgotten ingredient. So tonight we've looked at the who, the how, and the why of evangelism, all mixed with prayer. And as you pray about how to apply all this and to begin or continue to live it out, please always Remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Great Commission, reminding us that ultimately this work is His. It is all His. And that it is this powerful one, our leader, our champion who goes before us, it's this powerful one who has all authority over every human heart. And that He is always with us. So let me close by rereading Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I have to turn back there. Think about these words of encouragement from our Lord. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray together.
Thank you, O Lord Jesus Christ, for your promise that this is your work ultimately and that you are the sovereign ruler and king. All authority has been given to you and that you are with us to help us, to strengthen us by your spirit to give us wisdom and insight and understanding. Be with us, we pray, to stir up our hearts where we need to repent of, of coldness, stir up our hearts in that direction and, and give us true repentance that leads to change for your glory because you are worthy. You are worthy of our, of our immediate and heartfelt obedience. You are worthy of joyful obedience and you are worthy of worship. You're worthy of your name being proclaimed among the lost. You're worthy of countless white-hot worshipers thronging your churches, and we pray for reformation and revival in this land, and we ask that you'd use us here and the rest of us you've placed in different parts of the world, that you'd use us around the world to bring glory to your name as you send forth the gospel through us to bring in the lost to gather and then also to perfect the elect to the glory of your name. Thank you that you use us when you don't even need to. And we ask and pray all these things in Christ's most precious name. Amen.